had sex with all those many cars. Enforce my friends is violence, the supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. And you know, there is something very important we need to do as soon as possible. Don't you blame the movies? Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos for creative. Hello and welcome. This is the Parents Guide podcast where we talk about sex and violence in movies. We are still in season one and will be for a while where we talk about movies from the 1990s. And I have my first returning guest, which is Gordon McNulty, who was my first guest and uh, my, uh, well, I can say my favorite podcast partner by now because we've recorded so many episodes. Good to be back. Glad glad to be back uh, talking about, as the title would suggest, a, a joy of a movie totally not controversial or hard to sit through or anything very very full of happiness this movie. yes we're talking about happiness uh a movie from 1990 uh, let me check nine uh, eight 1998 by todd salons you know already because you are a returning guest that normally i ask um about uh, a movie that we're not discussing today and i know last time you talked about a couple of different movies that disturbed you as a child is there anything else that has come up since we talked about it or that you have thought of? And I know last I was, time there was a movie you couldn't think of, you couldn't remember. Yeah, so. I still can't remember quite what that one was. But I did think of some other things that weren't quite like movies. I, I don't know. I was always kind of a bit of a an easily scared, easily uh, made uncomfortable when I was a kid with things. So like, I also rewatched a lot of things a lot as kids tend to do. Like you mm -hmm. have your favorites and you watch them a bunch. And anytime some of those had scenes that really upset me, I would just leave the room and wait for that part to be over. But one that I, something that I thought of uh, earlier today was I don't remember what VHS tape this would have been on, but there was like a VHS tape that had like sort of a a promo reel for like other movies from the same studio, and I think it was all Halloween themed. It must have been on some like like Nightmare Before Christmas VHS or whatever. And it had a bunch of these like kid-friendly scary movie things in in the the sort of supercut they had, and one of them is the scene in Beetlejuice where you just see him from behind like pull off his face and there's like the mm -hmm. like snakes or whatever that yes. fly up out and it has that sort of like screeching sound and he goes you like it and that scene always <laughs> that moment freaked me out for so long I I hadn't seen Beetlejuice at that point I didn't really know what it was about. Beyond that one moment, I remember really freaking me out as a kid in this montage at the front of some VHS trailer thing. Interesting. Um, so I, That's I an guess, interesting pick, yeah. Yeah, Beetlejuice, before having seen it, is, is my other pick for this prompt here. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice choice. I, I mean, a lot of early uh, Tim Burton is probably something that scared kids or disturbed kids because they look like kids' movies and then they actually are... I mean, there are, and then there are not. Again, they have some very scary moments. I think the moment in in uh, Pee Wee uh, is 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 famous for that, right? Where you really don't yeah. expect it, and it and feels like straight out of a horror movie with the lady in the truck. Tell so, him large, yeah. large, sent you. Yes, and Beetlejuice is similar. I think it's it's actually like it's so it, it's quite a disturbing movie that deals with death and monsters and so on and so on. But it's also kind of sweet and cute and everything, and it's uh, yeah. yeah, good pick. Let's see. I, I'm curious if you will have other picks if we uh, talk again, which we probably I'm will. I'm sure point. I'll think of plenty of other <laughs> stuff. I, I should probably ask my parents 
if they remember anything like that that I don't remember because I'm sure they have stories that I could bring up. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll be sure to to think about that uh, next time. That would be interesting uh, because if I asked my parents, I don't know if I ever said that on on, on any episodes, they probably wouldn't remember anything because they barely noticed how scared many movies (laughs) made me uh, because they just watched and I just watched along and no one really cared, which was a kind of a problem, which is uh, how Jaws happened with nightmares for weeks. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so again, we are talking about um, happiness today the Todd Salons movie, and I have to remember that I was asked to provide a kind of plot synopsis for each movie we're discussing because there are people who listen to episodes without having seen the movie. Um, Of course, I would always say watch the movie, of course, obviously, and I would say that for every movie, almost every movie I've done here up to now, uh, I I truly liked, except for the one last week. And happiness, well, it's a bit hard to give a plot synopsis for happiness, right? Yeah. Also, a kind of hard to recommend to people. Like, definite content mm-hmm. warning on this one. Definitely, this is not a movie for everyone. I think that was, like, I, I was reading a little bit of Roger Ebert's review, and he specifically said that, like, this is not a movie for everyone. This is a movie mm-hmm. for, like, you You have to be prepared for this type of movie. And uh, it makes sense, because there's, there's a lot of very heavy stuff that goes on in this, and you want to be aware, aware of the fact that that you are ready to be watching that. You don't want to go into this completely blindsided and in, in some cases. Which is why I want to give a, like a short synopsis just so that people know what they're getting into. Uh, because many of the things we will discuss here, of course. So uh, it's not just a warning if you want to watch the movie, uh, but also a warning if you want to listen to this episode. But because we we discuss some some heavy stuff. So basically, it's a, it's a collection of stories about people with many dysfunctional relationships and issues. I think that summarizes it quite well. We have Jane Adams playing uh, a woman who uh, keeps stumbling into unhappy relationships. Uh, the first one we we see ends in a suicide, for example. We have Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who is basically stalking his neighbor because he's obsessed by her. He keeps uh, calling her and other people on the phone and make like uh, abusive sex calls, basically. Yes. Uh, we see him jerking off a lot. And then there is also uh, the Dylan Baker character who, uh, as it turns out, is actually a pedophile. And uh, it's not just something that is uh, discussed or hinted at, though nothing is shown, and we will get into that, we find out that he actually, in the course of the movie, um, abuses at least two boys. Yeah. Yeah. And discusses all of it with his son in the end, something we will definitely discuss. And this doesn't give you any clue what kind of movie this is, which is strange because it is, I would still say, unlike any other movie, uh, that deals with these issues in this way. Uh, now you are warned. Yes, and like it, it's all sort of centered around this one family. Uh, like yes, uh, Jane Adams and Laura Flynn Boyle, and I don't remember the name of the actress who plays the other sister, Cynthia Stevenson. I think it yes, is. Yes, right. Is Trish. She's it's, yes. Yeah, like it's the three of them, and their parents, uh, Ben Gazzara and Louise Lasser, are the sort of all of the stories that we see, all of the characters we meet in some way branch off from one or more members of that family. But some of those those stories get real tangential and and it's just a really interesting sort of entry into the uh the like the the 90s tendency to have these big uh sort of Altman-esque movies that like I feel like shortcuts mm-hmm. really ushers in a new era yes. of 
And then you get movies like this. Magnolia is a big, like, Altman uh, sort of past, not even really pastiche, but like, there's, it's it's part of a trend. But even among the movies in that trend, I think happiness really sets itself apart from yes, just like anything else of its ilk or or just in general. It is it, its own thing. I hadn't thought about that, but it's interesting that you bring up shortcuts because shortcuts has tendencies that are similar where we see moments that are really confrontational and unexpected in the way and explicit uh, what is shown, especially when it comes to sex, right? There's the famous Julian Moore scene. Uh, yeah. There's also a scene with Jennifer Jason Lee where she is like a, a like a sex worker on the phone where she is really explicit in what she talks about. And Just like happiness. out in the open in front of people? Yes, yeah. exactly. So there are some similarities. And happiness still goes like three steps further than that, I would argue. Oh, way, it's like <laughs> 10 steps further. Without showing actually much. Like, yes, yeah, exactly. Something we, w- we will get into, but th- th- that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, there's almost no, like, th- like there's one actual sex scene in this movie. But beyond that, there's not really a lot of, well, I mean, there's. You we'll see, get to it. We'll get to that. We'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, so, there's some explicit stuff that's not outright like actual nudity or sex that's still yes. pre- pretty intense to to look at. But yeah. What's your series with the movie? So I realized after I, I had said I wanted to do this one that it was the same. Uh, I don't remember if I talked about this on mic when we did Existence, but uh, how I watched Existence as part of like a month long thing where I picked out four of my favorite actors and each week I watched seven of their movies that I hadn't seen before, and I watched Existence as part of, like, a Willem Dafoe week. I watched this movie in that same month as part of a Philip Seymour Hoffman week of mm. of movies of his that I hadn't seen before. And it was a movie that I was, like, aware of for a while before that. Like, the, the scene at the end with Dylan Baker and his son was something that I just somehow had, had found out about long mm-hmm. ago, and it was just, like, one of those scenes that lived on in infamy as like the the most just like hard to watch moments in movies that really sort of scared me off from it for a while and then I ended up watching it for that and then I hadn't seen it again since then before watching it this past week or so that, that that's that's my my history with it I guess uh, what about you well my <laughs> this is a movie that has really a unique place in my memory uh, uh, in 1998 probably or 99 we had like a movie night with friends and for some reason we went to the video store. This is what you just uh, still did back then. And for some reason we picked happiness, maybe even another movie, maybe we picked two movies. No one really knew that much. I mean, I had seen welcome to the dollhouse before. So I had some idea what Todd Salons was into and I had read some things, but I, I also didn't know. And it had lots of interesting performers. So I thought, well, and I was kind of like the movie nerd. So I could have known. And yeah, what, what adds to that is that the the people I watched the movie with, it was the first time we watched a movie together. So it wasn't oh, like my closest no. friends and we kept oh, watching no. movies all the time. It was like a new thing that that this group of people watched movies together. And I remember so well, although it's over 20 years ago, that the last scene is over, which we'll talk about. Yeah. And the movie is over and we were just all sitting in silence and no one was speaking and everyone was shocked. And I feel like we didn't even talk about it 
It was like we everyone tried to forget what we just watched in a way. And I did like the movie. I remember that, that I thought, well, this was really interesting. But I also felt that everyone was so uncomfortable and 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 so like shocked. And, and yeah, so that was a unique experience, a really unique experience. Yeah, it really gets in your face with the the things that it's presenting. And I can... I, I don't want to imagine how tough that would be to watch with other people, but like I can absolutely imagine being confronted with those sort of ideas about the world and then having to reckon with that over the, the rest of a, a social gathering yeah. with other people that also just have have gone through the same thing. Like that's this is probably like a top 10 all time terrible movies to watch at a party. In a way, it is, in a way. And then what you mentioned before, the scene with Dylan Baker, and again, we will get into that, but I just want to point out, it is it deserves a list on, on scenes that are hard to watch, although it does nothing but have dialogue. It's just two people yeah. talking. And that's yeah. what makes it unique. Like all the other scenes you would, would think of are, are probably of some sexual or violent um, nature in, in, in some explicit way. But I, <laughs> this scene is as hard to watch as all of Cannibal Holocaust, for example, I would yeah. argue. Right? Yeah, it's it's... It's just dialogue. I don't even think there's any music. Is there? Is there music during that scene? Because I know a lot know, of the I, Dylan Baker stuff is like underscored with a a like the music is is a thing in this film. It's, yes, it's a, a very like almost saccharine romantic style, like sweeping music that is chosen intentionally. Yes, uh, but I'm pretty sure that scene there's no music. It's just them talking, and it is intense i'm not sure right now i will have to think about if i will include a clip from this scene no 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 you, you're not you don't you don't do that we'll see we'll see uh, I, yeah. I i will see okay okay one thing that makes this movie uh, unique on this podcast is that it is the first movie that actually was released unrated Ooh. so there is no MPAA rating this time. The movie was submitted to the MPAA, uh, MPAA and they rated it NC-17. When we get to what the movie actually shows, which is almost nothing explicit, just shows you again how the MPAA deals with stuff like that. Like, it is really more subject matter than actually what you see on screen. Yeah. And Although because... there's... When, we, when yeah. we talk about violence, there's, there's some... Yes. But of course, violence was not the reason for the NC-17. True. That's very true. <laughs> you could put that scene in an otherwise normal movie and it would just get an R. Exactly. And so they decided to release it without a rating because they didn't want an NC-17, something that has happened over the course of film history again and again, because it's very rare that a distributor or a studio is willing to have an NC-17 movie still. Yeah, we, we had the thing with Blonde just this year. The rare yeah. NC-17 movie that is actually a big release uh, because normally studios decide to go for unrated instead. And what surprised me when I looked at it now is that the movie still made actually money. Like it, the, the budget is like two million and made like five million. Like an unrated movie that actually is a success. That that's yeah. quite unusual. Yeah, an unrated movie that's like over two hours and is the movie that it is. I'm I'm surprised this movie made any money. That's that's kind of wild to hear. Yeah, but it it, it did. And, and I mean, it, it got some awards. Again, I mean, Roger Ebert gave yeah. it four out of four stars, right? And of course, it was controversial, but it was relatively well-received for a movie yeah. like that. Yeah, I just um, mentioned on, on my podcast that this movie is the Golden Globe nominee for Best Screenplay, which is yeah, the, wild, like, surprising. the wildest yeah. thing. That, how how did the, the, the Golden Globes 
put this movie like this this is like the least golden globes movie i could think of and they went for it and it does speak for the time a little bit as you said before it's the end of the 90s i mean right one year later american beauty wins which of course in a very different way not really comparable but there are similarities there are parallels absolutely like right i had an an idea for a podcast that i ended up not making obviously but i i had an idea to take each month like a movie that was a big like zeitgeist hit uh Mm -hmm. and over the course of a month like start off with the like similar movies in the precursor like Mm -hmm. the two or three years prior then talk about that movie and then talk about the follow-ups and one of the like big ideas that I, i thought of is like american beauty is the centerpiece start off with like happiness and the ice storm and movies like that mm-hmm. and then follow that up with like i don't know because the, there's a lot of movies in the post-american beauty era but it's stuff like life as a house and yeah kind of yes, even yes. say like royal tenenbaums in a way is is like an american beauty follow-up uh in some sort of weird way but I, I feel like there, road at the end oh, of the road yeah. there right by sam mendes yes. again right that's a very yeah. interesting trajectory actually i think yeah. I, that's a great idea you should consider i i've i've, <laughs> I've gone back to it a few times like matrix i feel like is like you could even just make it a whole yes, thing yes around 1999 because there's so much at a, at that crossroads sort of but yeah no i, I feel like this movie does i and successfully as uh, as well he had had a lot more of the ideas that American Beauty purports to be uh, dissecting. I think this movie is more assured in its convictions in ways that I think American Beauty kind of pulls its punches. Yeah, I just uh, realized that it's also the year of... Uh, Happiness also came out the same year as Thomas Winterberg's uh, The Celebration, uh, which oh, yeah. is also kind of similar because it deals with similar issues of sexual abuse in a very uncomfortable way. And it came out the same year. So I think that shows you that this time was unique for having movies like that. Still, happiness is kind of unique, but I think the celebration actually maybe comes closest. I would believe very I hard to watch. I, yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I, I've heard. I, I, I know the reputation there. Whenever I look at the celebration, I, I do remember, and I also almost cannot believe it myself, that I showed this movie in class once to oh 10th graders. Oh and uh, I don't know what came over me, but well, it, it I did. And uh, no one no one complained. But yeah, well, the celebration, another interesting movie. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, happiness is, again, unique because it has no rating. It has no rating justification, as I had with all the other movies. So we cannot start off with that. It is, again, it was unrated in the US. It was rated 18 in uh, in Portugal, in New Zealand, in Argentina, in many, many countries. In Germany, it was rated 16. A movie like that would not be rated 18. Again, as I mentioned yeah. before, all, normally only movies that show a lot of violence are rated 18 in Germany. And in France? Wouldn't, wouldn't you know that is it a 12? movie is rated 12, yes. <laughs> Good Lord. Has of it course. been 12 every movie you've covered so far? Or, Actually, or like 12 or lower? Has there been anything above a 12 in France? Maybe not a movie that I discussed, but a movie that I have planned. I know there's at least one movie that I've seen uh, where I checked the rating and in France it was not rated 12, uh, but I can't find it right now. Okay. So there are movies in France that are not rated 12, but they are rare. But happy, happiness is one of them. That is happiness is a movie that is okay. You can take your twelve-year-old to go see happiness. Actually, though, also in the Netherlands, it's also rated twelve. Huh? 
So France huh. is at least not even alone with that. I and I mean, the not. Netherlands are also known for being relatively progressive and open-minded when it comes to movies. But still, who? Like a movie specifically that deals with what this movie deals with feels like that decision could have gone through some more uh, some more consideration. And though I have to say, I have very mixed feelings about this movie and its subject matter. And yeah. this this is a, one reason why I was really happy haha, uh, that we discussed this movie today. Um, because I feel conflicted. I, I think and what the movie does, what it deals with, I think are important issues. I'm not entirely sure on the rewatch if I like how the movie deals with that as much as I liked it in 1998. Uh, but maybe that's something we will get into okay this was the longest pre-discussion before we get to the actual sections i ever had but what a surprise <laughs> that we talked longer than we have planned um it finally has happened but last week i released my shortest episode so i guess uh this week will be a longer episode it will definitely be longer hopefully not yeah. the longest but who knows okay yes. but we uh, as we always do and uh, it makes sense because we will talk more about the sex part in this uh, episode let's start with the violence so what is the most violent scene uh, uh, in your opinion I mean, it it kind of sets itself so apart from the rest of the movie. Like, you kind of have to pick this one scene. Uh, it starts with Dylan Baker standing in a park. Very, very lush green grass. Um, and, and you see, like, all these people walking around the park, mostly couples uh, or just, like, pairs of people. Uh, mm -hmm. Just, like, you know, walking and sitting and having picnics and throwing frisbees. And it has this big swelling orchestral music. And as this happens, you see D Dylan Baker putting together like a, a automatic rifle or, or whatever type of gun it is. Uh, and then he just sort of starts walking through the field and just mowing people down. And it's very intense. And you you get a lot of like, there's a lot of squib work being done in this scene. There's a lot mm -hmm. of big, like bright red blood explosions on all these people. And it just presents itself so out of nowhere because at this point like there's been some there's been some intense stuff I, I think this is this comes after the scene where he's picked up the magazine if i'm not no. mistaken oh that is it before that okay afterwards okay that happens uh, after this okay an interesting uh connection actually um but up until this point there hasn't been a lot of like really harrowing stuff that they've got like it's been uncomfortable but this is the first moment I yeah. think where the movie gets into some real well I, but the scene just it's it's so jarring yes. and so intense and you get the follow-up to it where he's stopped and he's just standing in the aftermath and it holds on that for a while as you see these people like crying with their dead loved ones and then it, it as it turns out it's all a, a fantasy sequence that he's talking to his therapist about even still just like watching all that and be and just being forced to reckon with that type of intense senseless violence is it's i mean it's it's very very uh violent and intense and it feels like there's really no other contender in the movie for what else could even be the most violent part exactly i mean that, that we're, seeing, we're told other things that are pretty violent but like yeah there are some other violent moments we can talk about but this is yeah it's a very violent moment and as you said uh, already we find out that it's just a fantasy that he talks about in therapy but the way the, the movie presents it to us doesn't give us any hint about that at first right but it's yeah we, we see um his his wife 
and her sister talking. And then the next scene is the scene in the park where he stands there and watches people. And then he takes out a gun and just shoots them. And as you said, it's very bloody. Like it's it's more violent than a scene like this even normally would be in a normal movie where, where this is real. It's it's yeah. really quite shocking. Um with lots of blood and so on, as you as you said. Yeah. I think it makes it even more shocking because it's Dylan Baker, because he's even a person that you just wouldn't expect to do something like that. You wouldn't yeah. expect a scene like that in a movie at this point, but you wouldn't expect Dylan Baker to be that. And person. at this point, what we know about his character is that he's a therapist, um, yes. which I think is like the yeah. the smartest decision the movie makes is putting in that one scene where he's the, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's therapist. I think it, it if you don't have that scene this movie is is so much less interesting. And I think that like mm-hmm. is like, that's the thesis scene for me for this yes. movie is that Dylan Baker is a therapist, but also that during the, the therapy scene, he's going through his, his grocery list and his, his errands that he has to do after this yes. session. Yes. And it's, I, I want to talk about that scene later. I don't really know because it doesn't really fit into sex or violence. Philip Seymour Hoffman talks about the sexual fantasies at this well, point. Yes. So that, that's well, part yes. of the sex um, uh, okay. part, I would argue. Yeah. But like that that scene, I think, unlocks so much of what Salons is saying uh, yes. with this movie. But like that's all we know about him leading up to this this park shootout is that he's a therapist and that he's, a, uh, he's married and has kids. And then we see him shooting up a park full of old people. There's a gay couple. There's yes. uh, there's an old couple. I think there's there might be an interracial couple. I don't remember if I'm if if that's the case or not. But I know there's. I remember noticing this time that there's like a gay couple specifically, and that's like where the loudest crying in that aftermath is the man cradling his his husband or boyfriend that, or whatever. That's what I've noticed too this time for the first time. And it's like we see him watch this couple and they go through the park hand in hand, which is something that is unusual actually to see in a movie at all, right? There's a normal gay like, couple walking through a park in 1998 is not a normal thing. But like w- with what that's saying about his character, um, or not even what it's saying, but just like the implication of that with his his own proclivities and, and the fact that like that's a significant part of his his violent fantasy is seeing this happy out gay couple that he is killing because oh. he, he he's reckoning with his own warped his own is he's a pedophile we, we've said it but like his own hidden yes. homosexual pedophilia that he is struggling with over the whole course of the movie and that he's he's like punishing the concept of homosexuality because he sees that as like so connected with his own sickness uh it's it's a note that i hadn't picked up on until this go around we have to be careful of course and uh, to make a a, and i I think salons is not saying that the the way like I, i don't want to make it sound like i'm saying those are in any way connected but like within this one very particular character who is outwardly uh presenting as a heterosexual family man and is hiding both uh homosexuality and then tangentially related but completely unrelated pedophilia that that he as a person is conflating both of those thoughts even though they are completely separate facets yes. of him yes. if it like it, it's a tough 
thing to try to describe about this character without even getting into the fact that the that he's presented with some margin of sympathy, which is a whole other thing to have to unpack about the character, is that he is presented with, with the same level of like scrutinous removed sympathy as everyone else is. Mm-hmm. It's just like a fucked up part of society. I mean, it's a hard movie to talk about. Yeah, it is. I mean, we have to get into the whole pedophilia aspect. And I do want to talk about that. And while I want to talk about it, I already feel that it is almost dangerous in a way. Yeah, I think we can just, we don't have to get too into the the arguments of of what the movie is saying. If, I, if that makes I don't sense. want to in a way because I think it is interesting what the movie is trying to say and I, I again there are parts of it where I feel especially there where I'm conflicted about what the movie is trying to say but I just do want to say that we do have to make a clear distinction between homosexuality and pedophilia especially because these two issues or these two things are so often unfairly connected um, yeah especially are... in, in the current culture there's there's yes. the whole grooming panic is made this movie uh even more poignant in in, yeah. in the current day and and I just want to say that right away now that we really really want to be clear that I I would say there is no connection between these two things of course of course not at all and um yeah but it is interesting that we see that gay couple I think that is interesting and uh rewatching the scene I noticed that we see him shooting people like we see people hit by bullets blood is flying we don't see the gay couple being shot, we only see one of them dead in the end, in the last shot yeah. of this scene. Which again, I, I wonder, because it is it is quite clear that there's a gay couple walking through the park. It is clear that he's killing lots of people. And in the end, we see that he killed one of them too. But we don't see him killing one of them. I, I wonder if I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm putting too much thought on this, but I do think you have to be super aware to put a gay couple in your movie even if it's just like a, a random people walking by in 1998 and having and killing one of them. Yeah, I mean, they're extra. They don't get any lines, but they're still no, no, no. forefronted in the scene. And like, I think I could also be wrong about this as well because they don't have the scene in front of me. But I think like with, with the scene being all couples that he's shooting, I don't think he ever no, no, that's kills not true. both members or, or it's most like the in the aftermath, we see three couples where one is dead and the other is... So I... what we do see in the last shot, I have it in front of me, so I can't okay, go yes. through it. Yeah. So what we do see, he's shooting an, uh, an an old couple where he shoots the man. We don't see them in the last shot of this scene. In the last shot, we see the gay couple. One of them is dead. The other one is crying, as you said. We see a young man who's alone who's dead. We see a young woman who's dead. And we see a, like a probably a married couple on like a picnic blanket, and they're both dead. Okay, so they um, are both. Okay, I, I was but, misremembering that. So he's not just shooting couples, but mostly, but the only couples where one survives is the gay couple and the elderly couple. I don't know okay. if that means anything, or if we're talking and too much about this. There's scene. probably some sort of. I mean, it's it's a, a kind of a showcase scene in terms of like the lasting images from this movie. That's one of the ones that people go to immediately in terms of just like the the shocking moments of this movie that that make it so infamous in its frankness i guess yes it's definitely a scene that is more violent than you would expect even from a movie like that or even from what you've heard about this movie because you don't expect that much violence and again we i i want to point that out again the movie is uh, the, the violence is quite explicit even for movie violence again i mean it's just shooting people and blood but it's 
it's really it's it's normally more more than you would normally see in a shooting scene. Yeah, the squibs are 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 pretty pretty realistic. Yeah, the 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 shots seem really intense, and the people are really flying through the air when they are shot. It's it's yeah, it's not just like a Western shooting stuff. It's it's really intense, and it's one of those scenes, especially coming out in 1998, where you know that just like one two years later would have been impossible to have yeah. a movie. Yeah, Columbine is just like a few months yeah. after this. Yeah, uh, which and... I, I mean, again, we're talking about Columbine. Yeah, uh, because like Existence was what two days before. What, yeah, we what, what did we look? Time, yeah. It was like crazy close to to when Columbine actually happened. Like, there's it, it's there are so it, many it movies up... in the '90s pre Columbine that have scenes like that. I just watched the Basketball Diaries recently, which was one of the infamous movies that was kind of banned after Columbine because yeah. it's actually in a, in a school and they, he's wearing a trench coat and all of that stuff. Even though yeah. the, the Columbine people didn't do that. Yeah, there are so many of these movies, and there well, was the Buffy episode that I think was going oh, to yeah. air the night of that they <laughs> that they had to uh, uh shelve uh, indefinitely because it was just because it took place at a school and there was monster stuff like yeah there's, it's crazy to think lot. about that that this is something the movie would have been shelved for in 1988 after columbine a movie like happiness that has enough reasons <laughs> to be shelved uh but even oh, yeah. again this scene is is intense um, it is okay what else do we have we do the uh, there's a character that we meet in the first scene uh, that Jane Adams is dating uh, by played by John Lovitz. Um, he's so good in that one scene. He's so it's one of the great one scene performances. It is that it never is. comes up in conversation about great one scene performances. Like everyone always brings up, oh, you know, Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Viola Davis in Doubt, uh, Beatrice Strait in Network. Like there, there's sort of like the like Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. There's the sort mm-hmm. of canonized great one scene performances. But John Lovitz and Happiness yeah. uh, is it's such a, a tremendous, just like weak man that even still by the end, like that's what I love about the Jane Adams character is that she is constantly p- uh, put up against these just like weak, pathetic characters and they still end up like ultimately winning the scene uh, yes. in, in, in a way. Like, I mean, the just scene... Like, really sets the tone the uncomfortable tone that this movie has because it's such an uncomfortable moment it's like it starts at like a normal date and then you realize really quickly that it's not and it's She's even hard just to broken up with him like yes. seconds before the movie yes. starts and it's it's really uncomfortable and he plays it so well i don't want to get into too much but would you be willing to guess real quick what john lovitz is known for movies are on imdb Ooh. because oh, it's are they all movies? Are they? There's no Saturday yes. Night Live. There no all Saturday Night Live for John Lovitz. Is in all okay, movies. okay. Movies with John Lovitz. That, and that's already going to be tough. You know, I had never there? seen. I had never seen Saturday Night Live because that wasn't aired in Germany. And I I knew John Lovitz as a character actor, as a comedy actor, and still. Almost no movies that I had known him from are on this known for. So it's interesting. Yeah. Happiness is the first movie that's on it. Oh, that's that's really good, honestly. It's just going to be a bunch of those, like, sub... Like, the the movies that, like, when you can't even cast Adam Sandler as your lead, <laughs> the next guy that you go down the line from that. Okay, is Grown Ups one of them? Nope. Okay. How many Sandler movies are in there? Are there any Sandler? Nope, they are not. Okay. The Benchwarmers? 
<laughs> that's not a movie I expected you to say, but yes, it's on there. The bench. Okay, course. I only know that because that's a movie I watched in like a like a like a gym class when it was raining, and we watched the bench warmers, and it was the most unpleasant experience I've had of my entire life. Um, and and I remember him being like especially not great in that. But okay, I have, ne- I have never seen the I have never seen the bench warmers. Uh, I have no intention of doing that. But he's like he's not even on the poster of bench warmers. No, he's <laughs> like, he's like the uh, he's like the this shady businessman that that buys their their team is like their manager or something. It's bad. It's a terrible movie. It's a it looks it's yeah, a it's... really just like disgusting movie. It has um, a poster I, that I look at and I think I w- never want to watch this movie. Never, yeah, it's ever. Rob Schneider is the lead, yes, right? It is Rob Schneider, it is Dan, uh, and John Hatter. Yeah. Oh, they're they're all it's so a... bad in that. It's <laughs> we're not talking about Benchmark. Okay, two no. other John Lovitz movies. I genuinely don't think I could hold. So they're both they're both nineties movies. Okay, that's something. Are uh, they well liked? One of them yeah. definitely is. One of them just recently got a TV show adaptation. A recent TV show adaptation of a 90s movie that John Lovitz is in. Uh, Are they both comedies? They are both comedies, one more than the other. Um, John Lovitz is really low on the on the casting list if I, I look at uh, this movie. So he it's unlikely that you remember that he's in, uh, that you remember him being in this movie. Though I see he's in between... David Strathairn, Bill Pullman, and Gary Marshall, who are all in this movie in small roles. Wow. I, I don't know if I know what this is. Gary Marshall is related to the director of this movie. Okay. It's a, oh, it, oh, John Lovitz is in A League of Their Own, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. I think I watched that yeah. in the same gym class that I watched The Benchwarmers, because it's another sports comedy you can show to high schoolers. But like... A significant quality difference between those two. <laughs> oh yes. So you have one movie left. It's a it's a really a comedy. It's a spoof movie. Is he in Austin Powers? No. It's more okay. spoofy than that. More spoofy than Austin Powers. And this is the one that's liked. Or I mean, I guess they're both. No, they're no. Both. A League of Their Own is a no. very popular. Okay, A League of Their Own is is the more beloved one. So this is a a. Spoof movie from the nineties. It has a title that's very similar to the movie. It's spoofing. It's 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 very very close. And he has been in a couple of spoof movies actually. That's what I expected more. Um, for example, he was. It's a movie I remember because he was in a lead role in High School High. I don't know if you remember that. No. Nope. Uh, that's a movie that also came out in the nineties and was almost a big deal. It was like a, a Dangerous Mind spoof. And he's like the lead role. He's on the poster for that, huh. but it's not one of his known sports for some reason. Um, spoof movie. It's a body comedy comedy spoof. Oh, is he in Loaded Weapon? You mean Loaded Weapon One? Uh, Loaded yes. Weapon One. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it has the funny idea of putting the one in the title. Yeah, he is. But that's a good. I don't that's remember what. Bit. Yes. Okay. Okay. I I generally like John Lovitz. I think he's he's funnier than some of it. Like I'm not a big David Spade guy. I don't like Rob Schneider. Nope. Like I, I'm not nope. really a fan of most of those, like that era of comedians that were either on SNL or SNL adjacent, but I do really like John Lovitz. I think he is a a very funny actor when he wants to be, even in things that I think aren't good. I think he can still be funny. Uh, and I if, think he's really great here. I think th- this is yes, a great yes. performance. And again, like kind of a, a real thesis moment 
in that he's this weak man that still I don't know and and, and then just like everything that happens to his character that's why we're talking yeah that's yes. why we're talking we kind of went on just a, a John Lovitz tangent yes sorry that uh, was my about, fault already no. yeah I mean but he he kills himself and we don't see the suicide but we see his corpse for a moment we, we see them taking the bag off of his head yes and yes. then like at first it's just like oh is this like a, like a weird body bag situation are they like uncovering but no uh the cop is on the phone to jane adams saying like yeah we found him he put a bag over his head and asphyxiated himself uh and so we're calling you the woman that just dumped him and she gets this call and then the scene after the the follow-up scene like this movie is such a is so good with its darkly comedic moments um i mean just the fact that we talk about the suicide and we're both laughing because it is played like a comedy moment Right, that they that he kills himself, that he's found the way he is found with the back on his head, uh, and and everything. It is it's really played as a comedy. The fantasy yes. that we talked about before in the park is not played as comedy. It no, is shocking. But I, I do want to mention I, I was gonna mention this and then I, I, I forgot, but like the whole like conclusion to that sequence with the the shootout fantasy where he's talking to the therapist has like one of the best sort of dark comedy punchlines. Uh, in the movie where, where the therapist is, is like well what makes this fantasy so different from all the other times you've had it and he just goes well in this one I didn't shoot myself too and it's <laughs> it's just like the kind of darkly comedic joke that you laugh at not because it's funny but because it's so shocking that like your boss yes. it elicits a response from you yes I don't know but 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 it's one of the the jokes if you can call it that that just it's one of the you. moments where the humor really works. I think in yes. some moments it doesn't work for me anymore as well. But there, I think the humor really works uh, in, in in this moment, and also in the in the John Lovett suicide moment for some reason. And you wanted to talk about the scene that comes right afterwards. Yeah, with, with uh, Molly Shannon. And with Molly Shannon, in a, the other in two who, who are the workers. It's um, it's uh, Anne Harada and Douglas McGrath are the other two co-workers that are that like jane adams is bawling at work because she's like oh andy's dead yes. and then the 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 other three co-workers are like andy did he work here was he yes. was he the guy that like looked kind of hispanic looking and had acne scars <laughs> yes. and was like c- kind of squarish uh and she in in the foreground you see jane adams just like crying her eyes out and the three of them just like oh he, he looked kind of like that actor oh what was his name it was like just something just yes. something 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 that there was an a in it and and then uh jane adams gets the call from from andy's mom from uh john lovitz's mom and is like i hope you rot in hell for the rest of, or just it's like blaming her for it while she's dealing with these yapping co-workers yes. uh it's just poor jane adams in this movie but also like she's also a terrible person as well which is uh which is great I, I, I mean, love that a, this movie doesn't make anyone a good person by any stretch of the imagination. In a way, it doesn't, yeah. And it is uh, it is a, a really funny and really, again, another really uncomfortable scene where you see her dealing with something so horrible, something so unimaginable, like having your, your recent ex-whatever date having committed suicide and then being and blaming for you it. for it. And to then the your co-workers the co- not even caring at you. all and just being it's, so... Uh, it's 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 quite something yeah i mean the um, movie deals in like these really extreme awkward moments that are like beyond just your usual sort of cringe dark comedy moments like they it gets to the darkest cringe comedy you can get and it's stuff like that dealing with the cringiness of um 
mourning and blaming yourself and being blamed for the suicide of someone that you just broke the heart of while yeah. also dealing with the monotony of of just like terrible office chatter yes it's, it's just the, the 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 absolute juxtaposition of everything that he does here is is really masterful it is yeah it's 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 quite something and it's uh it's it's hard to watch many of those scenes are hard to watch i would yes. say you can laugh at them but then you also feel like a bit guilty for laughing because it's so horrible what we are seeing. I think yeah. Solans is quite good. Maybe I would still say I have my problems with this movie. I would still say that maybe Solans has never been better than in this one. I've only that... come to the dollhouse of his other movies. But Which I... is more beloved, I guess. But I found it a bit more one note because I think I feel it does the same. Like what it has to say, it says it again and again and again. I mean, in happiness, it's just the one character. Yes. In happiness, he also says the same thing again and again and again. But because we have so many different characters and so many different issues, it is more entertaining, as if you can call it yeah. entertaining, if you can say that for any anything in this movie. Uh, I have seen some of his other movies, but not all of them. And they are often difficult. Like storytelling, his next movie has also some very, very uncomfortable scenes. And where he also gets into racism and stuff like that, where you yeah. really feel ooh, not sure if that's what he should be dealing with. Palindromes is another movie I have seen, which is also quite quite something, but not as successful as this one. Uh, I have read that his movie Life During Wartime, which I haven't seen, is kind that's of... That's the one that's a sequel to this. Yeah, where everyone's yes. recast, but it's all the same characters. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Uh, Who's in that one? There's like a bunch of people, uh, they, all the recasting people... Are there is a ser- I, I don't know Shirley Henderson, Kieran Hines, Allison Janney, Michael Lerner, Charlotte Rampling, Paul Rubens, Michael K. Williams. Oh, interesting. Well, not quite the same caliber of performers. Yeah, yeah. Although I mean, like this one, uh, like it's kind of a, a similar echelon of people. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman is kind of the biggest star nowadays out of this cast. But like at the time, he's still. This is like. The same year as Lebowski. This is pre Magnolia, pre talented Mr. Ripley. I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting assemblage of independent actors at this point. Like and the person right. you pull from like a quote unquote older era of Hollywood is still Ben Gazzara, which is, right. is like as independent as you as, as they come uh, in terms of of Hollywood careers. But I mean, you have like, I mean, Leverflin Boyle was still maybe at the end of her trajectory uh, after like Twin Peaks and everything that she did. She was in a couple of movies, right? And you have yeah. John Lovitz, who is, is still kind of a big name. You have Ben Gazzara. Yeah, but he's you just have... in the one scene. Molly yes. Shannon, who's just in the one scene. Yes. Still, uh, it feels like... Yeah. Like, you, you have all those faces on the poster, too, with the the other movie. You don't. I, I, I think it's not quite the same thing. Uh, yeah. But again, that I d- haven't seen the movie, so I can't I can't really tell. That that um, Daniel Clues poster is so yes. so iconic. So it is. I I love his art style in general. Ghost World is a, a great comic, and I just reread uh, Ice Haven, which is a really interesting mm-hmm. kind of not really similar to this in terms of the darkness uh, that this movie gets at, but it's a similar sort of like brawling small town interconnected stories where that that gets at some uncomfortable. Uh, social ideas it's a really int- it's a very short uh, uh yes. graphic novel but if if anyone out there likes daniel clues's stuff i i would really recommend ice haven it's it's really fun and fascinating and kind of makes an interest like 
it, it makes sense that he's the artist you go to for a movie like Happiness because it is it's a really his, good fit. Right, the it, way he, like, he he draws those people, those characters, and you see them on the poster, and they all look unhappy and kind of again uncomfortable. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman, full of sweat in his face. Yes, yes, <laughs> like it, it is kind of the the pinnacle of the '90s independent art scene in general there's a todd salons movie where the poster is a picture of philip seymour hoffman as drawn by daniel (laughs) blues like that is that is such an amalgam of so many yes it is flashpoints that i'm glad we got that yes i think we're done with violence right i do want to mention one other thing okay Um, then please uh the the pedro story the the doorman pedro oh yes yes yes, you're right uh, you're right uh, there's some violence there yeah. yeah Cameron Mannheim uh, is this other neighbor oh, yes, that lives course. in the the apartment building that Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Flynn Boyle live in, and she's like kind of uh, pestering Hoffman and, and ends up uh, well, she's, she's like telling him like, "Oh, you heard about the the doorman Pedro that died? Uh, they found his body. Someone had cut off his penis. It was a whole thing." Uh, and then later, she she ends up taking him out on like a date to a diner. And she confesses to him that like Pedro had like helped her bring groceries up into apartment and then raped her and she killed him and and had cut up his body and put it in the freezer and was taking it out in in in, in bags to the dump so that it wouldn't mm-hmm. get found and, and like that whole scene while she's crying and he's just like sitting there not sure how to take this whole story he's being told she eventually orders like a strawberry chocolate sundae. And she's gorging herself on that while she's talking, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's the same type of like awkward mm-hmm. situation that is incredibly dark. Um, yes, but then the the culmination of that scene, I think, is maybe the funniest uh, uh, joke in the movie, where Laura Flynn Boyle is telling this story to her family over over the the coffee table at uh, their parents' place, and she's talking about how oh. And and they found the doorman's genitals in baggies in, in it's like the final freezer. scene, right? Yes, it's the final scene. They, yes. they found his genitals in baggies in the freezer. Yes. And Jane Adams just offhandedly goes, I use baggies. And the mom goes, Yeah, so do I. And Laura Flynn Boyles, I wrote it down, it's so funny. Well, yeah, everyone uses baggies. That's why we can all relate to this crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good joke. That's true. It's it's such a good like <laughs> We can all relate to the crime because <laughs> yes, we use of... plastic baggies. It is, oh, it's it's so funny because and we're talking about. I'm laughing at a joke about a a the dismembered like body of a rapist. That's the kind of movie this is. Is that they make that funny? The thing about these whole this whole segment, I, I think the 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 part with Cameron Mannheim and the story she tells didn't work for me very well. Even though this it's joke a, in the end is good. It's a weird scene. It's a it, weird it scene. It feels kind of out of place. Mostly, I think, because you are never sure if she's telling the truth or not. Because we have well, no idea. I and mean, this is what we get to in the end when they talk about it. for a little, yeah. Yeah. But then when they talk about it in the end, we feel like, oh, it's actually true. But but while she talks about but not, it, it's... Not, not 100%. Because she told Hoffman at first that Pedro was found and his penis was cut off. And then when she confesses to him at this diner... Uh, Hoffman's follow-up question is, so you cut off his penis? And she goes, no, I, I didn't want to touch it again yeah, after he was yeah. inside. Like, I, I hate sex and all this stuff. And then at the end, Laura Flynn Boyle 
this objective observer of the story that's not telling it from the perspective of, of this murderer and dismemberment per, dismemberer says that they found his genitals separated in baggies so we know that like she's an unreliable narrator even in in confessing to murdering and dismembering this man like and we and, and we she's also... presented as kind of hysterical it makes you wonder like did he even rape her or was she just like like did they even have sex upset did by she even meet presence? him right yeah, we don't I mean, even know him. that we know she killed him and we, we know that he was dismembered and found in her freezer we have no idea if anything else she's saying is true because it's all just from her and it's a really interesting and like we know that some of what she's saying is false also so it I, really puts a whole new perspective on the the story and this is why i find the story so odd because you're so unsure and then you're wondering why it's even there i mean of course yeah. it's another kind of fantasy about violence and domination and sex and all of that stuff that the movie deals with but i just think it's it's also having her character, the way she's presented as this loner who also is looking for happiness haha, again. And then she tries to achieve that by telling such a horrible story. I don't know. Something about that just didn't work for me very well. Yeah. And, and we do the, see... It's the biggest I, question mark, I think. It, it's kind of amazing. I pulled the scene up right now and I, I forgot, although I have seen the movie again, I forgot that when she tells the story, we actually see parts of it. And yeah. we see them... Like we see him basically raping her and then we see her breaking his neck with her bare hands, which just makes it look yeah. like a fantasy even more. Like there's another yeah. violent moment here that I completely forgot about Yeah, already it, because it seems so it, not important. It's like most of this movie, I think, works. I think her stuff is is the most like puzzling and all the stuff with Ben Gazzara and Louise Lasser I'm, I'm yes. not really interested in. and Because it, no. it's... This feels weird to say, but it's the most chaste element. Everything else has some sort of like pull to it that that makes it dark and and grimy and and weird. And with that, it's just Ben Gazzara is no longer em emotional in any way. But he's he didn't ask for a divorce. He just wants it's, to be left alone. It, and it's, it's, also the it's most hard to follow. Storyline, I would argue, it's like really yeah. like this old couple, and he doesn't feel anything anymore, so he tries someone else, but it also doesn't work. It's it's like yeah, okay, but it's not nearly on the same level as all the other stuff. Yeah, I would argue. you you could excise it and not lose much from this movie. No. Exactly, it's it's yeah. the most tangent. Like everything else has some sort of interconnectedness. They're just the parents of these sisters, but but they don't really factor in all that much to, yeah. to the rest of the movie but i am um, I'm, I'm happy that you brought it up because you're right there is that this part of the storyline deals with violence and we do actually see some violence when she breaks his neck but it's really comical this violence yeah Compared to the scene in the park again it's you don't believe that it it, it doesn't look real even it's it seems kind of absurd especially yes. because the way she tells it and then she eats the ice cream and all of that stuff it's 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 kind of odd and then kind yeah. of forgotten too later on. Like it's it, it it only comes up again in the end in this final scene, long after we we heard this story. Yeah, it, it, nothing's like nothing really comes of it. I mean, maybe in a way similarly is also the story of Jane Addams and her new partner because there's also yeah, some violence. Uh, Russian Jared Harris. Yes, L looking which... like a he, he looks good in this. He 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 looks good as a as a 
sort of I skeezy. seriously did not realize it was Jared Harris for a long, long time. It's wild. It's wild that that's Jared Harris under that that mop and and. I've seen him in so many things. I watched all of Mad Men. I watched Chernobyl. I, I've seen him in so many other movies. And I watched this movie, and I was like, I didn't even think about who that could be. I misremembered it as being Viggo Mortensen, actually, because this is like the era where he'll sh- pop up in a bunch of things as a small character and also he's done Russian before. So I, I was going into this like the Russian, who's the Russian student that Jane Adams sleeps with? Is it Vigo? And it turns out, no, it's Jared Harris. But like, if you have not seen this wild. movie, pull up the poster of happiness that we talked about already. Oh, is he on the poster? Philip Seymour Hoffman. And right oh. behind Philip Seymour Hoffman, there is Flod <laughs> played by Jared Harris. And you would never in a million years think this is Jared Harris. I've actually never really looked too much at the the background of this poster beyond almost Hoffman everyone is on the Adam. poster. Yeah, uh, Hoffman and Adams and Baker are the ones I always focus on. But like, yeah, you get Cameron Mannheim in there. You you even have uh, John Lovitz there behind. Yes, Jane yes, Adams. he's on the poster. Yeah, and Ben Gazzara. Oh, everyone's there. But like, if you look at that flood there behind Philip Seymour Hoffman, you cannot tell me that you, anyone would think, oh, no, this it's Jared Harris. I was trying to figure out who the blonde behind uh, Lara Flynn Boyle was. That's probably Louise Lasser, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Again, good poster. Very good yeah. poster. It has all, almost all of the characters except for the except, son. <laughs> yes, except, except uh, Billy. Okay, that's more violence than I even had thought of. Yeah. And like, Definitely. we're still going to be talking about violence when we talk about the sex in this movie because a lot, lot of, of it has, ha- yes. <laughs> and even just like, assault and misconduct and like everything philip seymour often doing isn't physically violent but it's certainly yeah, imposing yeah. And, and gross yeah there, there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff then let's get to the sexual part and i feel weird even asking a question this time but what is the most sexual moment according to you in um, happiness so whatever that question even means in this context yes can i just say happiness 1998 the the film the entire film is is the most like there's everything everything like everything philip seymour hoffman is doing with his overly violent sex fantasies where he's talking about fucking these women so hard they come out of their ears Uh, and that scene alone in the beginning of the movie when we see hear him talking the way he talks about that is so again hard to watch like having Reading like having someone basically talk, speaking like the lewdest comments you can read anywhere under a porn movie, just some someone like speaking them as a real fantasy, but with so little emotion at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but like like everything with that. Obviously, Dylan Baker. There's his whole character. Like there's so much to get into there. I feel like the the moment I I would pick because it's the most. I don't know the the ending, the ending with Billy. I, I think it, it's a real, a real okay. shocking moment in a movie of shocking moments. I told you the story when I watched this movie, and it was this scene specifically yeah, more it, than the scene with Dylan Baker and Billy, where they talk. But this fine final scene, the way it is shown, the way it is played out. We okay? Should we should we start with this one? Yes, that that's I think uh, because so, I agree. It is yes. it is the. So what happens is so, that? Do you want to explain? Well, I, yeah, I, I think as as exposition, you you need to mention how Billy's whole character arc over the movie 
is that he's this, you know, adolescent child going through puberty who who's has a lot of questions and questions about his own body and about masturbation and sex. And he's being told, you know, he's being given answers by his dad, Dylan Baker, which is a whole thing. Because he furiously uh, goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, what about my penis? What about yeah. uh, what has come? Like he just asks him in a very matter of fact way, which is already unusual to, to watch their conversations before yeah, to, we know about the pedophilia uh, or yes. how explicit it is. Uh, but but he's kind of insecure about the fact that he hasn't been able to have an orgasm yet. Yes. Uh, and and he, he's, uh, he feels sort of emasculated by the other boys in class that are you know, they're they're middle school boys that are bragging about their own. It's a competition. Uh, bragging yeah, bragging about things that they have no experience or understanding of. Um, and then this this final scene of the movie, he's like the one character that is actually happy. He's the one yeah. character that gets happiness. Yes. Um. So he's standing out on the balcony of this sort of uh uh re- not even retirement place, but like the the place where where Ben Gazar and Louis Lasser ended up moving, and he's watching this. A woman who's sunbathing down on like the 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 ground level, mm-hmm. uh, and he watches her like take off her bikini top and lie down, and he's jerking off, and he ends up coming all over the balcony. Uh, I forgot about the the in between yeah. moment where the dog comes up yes. and licks it, and then goes and licks Billy's yes. mom on the mouth, and she kisses yes. the dog, and I forgot about that. that that's too. maybe the disgust. This, uh, uh, it's gross it's really gross but then he he walks back into the room where his his mom and his aunts and his grandparents are and he just very proudly goes i came and, and the movie sm- ends and he smiles Smile. brightly so, the only happy person in the movie so proud he's and so the movie proud. is it's, over it's the last shot is him smiling because he came it's this is, this maybe this the most really was am- the moment the most ambitious ending to a movie that I've maybe ever yes. seen. I would, I would agree. I do like this ending. I have to it's say, a, it's I like, a good it's ending so, for this movie. It's, it's the most really daring, so yeah. daring. Like no movie would do this. Yeah, so much no. so that I think, and I just like you, I forgot about the dog moment that comes in between, which <laughs> I find completely unnecessary. Even it's because the dog moment is like a. Uh, almost a silly joke that's thrown it's like in a there. gross out joke it's yeah. it's the kind of gross out joke you would see in, in like an adam sandler movie where someone kisses a dog that they yeah. don't know yeah. has just licked up their child's semen and it's something that the movie does from time to time and this is the the part that i like the least now on the rewatch the, where, where it becomes kind of silly and gross but even if, I for, if we forget about all of that, it the, the way he smiles, the way he talks, this is something we've been following in the movie all the time whenever he talks about these sexual topics and it's kind of hard to watch because we're just yeah. not used to a child talking about these things in a movie because we know it's a child. Uh, the child yeah. has learned uh, his dialogue and so on and so on. Like it's, it's on a movie set. Like very often in movies when you have children and sex, there's often like some kind of... of a way of like obscuring a body that they're actually connected. Or, yeah. yeah, something like that. Oh, you see that there's, you don't see them in the same scene. You're so, you're supposed to think they're watching some sex scene or something, but actually they're looking at something else. But here it's impossible because he's talking about that stuff. Like, again, he says, hey, I came. And there's yeah. no way that he didn't know what he was talking about. The scene with Dylan Baker that we were talking about. The, yes. The scene, the like, when people talk about the movie Happiness, the first scene that comes to mind is that kid being told by his father 
if I got horny for you, I wouldn't rape you. I would just jerk off yes. so that I don't feel the urge to rape you. Yeah. Like, there's no way to get around that. I mean, if... there you could maybe think that when he says that, that the, the, the kid is not actually right next to him because we just see Dylan Baker's face. So that would be possible to do the scene. But still, the boy is asking him, like, would you rape me too? Like, it, those yeah. are moments, those are lines of dialogue that the kid has to say. It's a good, I mean, everyone in this movie turns in a really good performance, but it's a really good performance from that kid. Yes, he, it he, is. It, it's such a, a difficult character to capture. And Think he doesn't about, really I don't know. I don't know how old he was. I don't find his age and he didn't do much. He, yeah, he, <laughs> he doesn't have, have a Wikipedia of, page. I don't know. No, but just think about that. Being at this age, he probably was older than than twelve or whatever he's supposed to be, uh, but not much. Like he's not a he's not yeah. eighteen or something, right? No, no he definitely about, reads as adolescent. Yes, think about having like telling your friends, your parents, I'm in a movie. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then... like, I mean, there are many moments in careers by people who do strange things, but this here, like this moment. Just imagine showing anyone at your age, you wouldn't even be allowed to, to show this movie to people your age, right? And seeing like, yeah. look, this is what I did. Oh, I talked about being raped by my father. Yeah. I talk, my final moment, I have the final shot of the movie because I came. Uh, he has the final, <laughs> he sure does have the final shot of the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, was, that was a gross joke. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. And... Uh. Something that the movie does and which we don't see except in gross out comedies like Adam Sandler movies is that we see the cum. Yes. And not just Normally, from him. The, the scene where no. Philip Seymour Hoffman is on the phone. Yes. Is it when he's on the phone with Jane Adams yes. or is it when he calls Laura Flynn Boyle it, the first time? I did write that down somewhere. I mean, in the end, it doesn't really matter. I think it's with Jane Adams, not with Laura I think Flynn so, Boyle. which is another scene that I had forgotten about where he, because his whole thing is that he's, calling random women from the phone bo phone book uh, happens to call like two sisters from the same family and then like he's uh, for lack of a better term he's crank calling them uh, yes. and then you know talking dirty and jerking off uh, not just dirty and... but also like really aggressive like we have heard his, yeah. his uh, violent sexual fantasies and this is what he he uh, puts upon them right without really yeah. caring yeah and then in one and... of those moments we see him jerking off and then again, and this is very similar to the scene in the end, we see him jerking off, we see him, his cum flying on the wall. And, and then, then he scrapes it up with a, a card and then sticks it to the wall yes. using his semen. It's, again, a very audacious movie to be showing you these things. But I do want to discuss for a moment why we do see that, why we do see the thing with the dog in the end, why Salons goes all the way. Like we see him jerking off already. We see him making this very uncomfortable, nasty calls. We see that he's coming from it. We see the come. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. But then to make this prolonged joke of him, like just using the come as glue on his wall. And you have to wonder how many of the other things that are stuck to his wall are like, is it that looks a thing? like all of them doing and like... what are we supposed to think why is it there is it just for the joke for the gross think, out joke like what is the thing that he sticks is it is it, it's a business card right it's something uh, i i can't look it up i i couldn't um, quite make out what it was I, I watched the movie on youtube there's a full upload on youtube and it was not in the best quality 
Maybe so what you get from movies that are unrated. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this movie has ever had a Blu-ray release. It is a um, an envelope. Okay. Uh, okay. We don't really see what it is. It's uh, it, it has it has some name on it. And okay, I I don't I, I don't know that. I I thought it might be some sort of like relationship to his boring job, which like that also comes around in the end where Lara Flynn Boyle after their their whole thing I think is a really interesting part of this movie, her dynamic with him. But when when she ends up recommending him as like uh setting him setting him up with Jane Adams, which uh mm-hmm. having just also watched uh Little Children for the first time. Oh man, mm-hmm. Jane Adams' movies, her characters always just get set up with the, the it's such an unfortunate typecast. Typecast, well, yeah, weird. definitely. Yeah. It's such a is. weird typecast that Jane Adams gets cast as women that are set up romantically with terrible men. Oh, just yes. like terrible gross because like she's uh Jackie Earl Haley's blind date in that and has to deal with some some stuff from him. Have you ever uh, seen the show Hung? I have not. It's very good, but she plays the same character basically in this show. I... She's very that's why I saw recognized her first in in a way or where where her name and her face like uh, stuck with me in a way. And there she's like she's... this is the same character. She's such really an underrated show. actress. She's such a a great actress that doesn't get her due. I I love Jane Adams. I I I need to seek out more of her work, but cast Jane Adams in more things, Hollywood. She's she's great and she's always been great. Happiness also her first movie in a known form. Interesting. I mean that makes sense. That that like still, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm not going to just tell me what her other three are. I'm not, I'm uh, not Sorry, yeah, we don't want to do too many games. It's Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I don't remember I that forgot. she's in that. Who um, is she in that? Harriet says, I have no idea. I don't remember. Then uh, her third one is a series of unfortunate events. Who is she in that? Uh, It says she is white faced woman. Oh, she's one of those. She's one of the pale faced ladies. Yeah, but I mean, not the biggest role to be known for. No, but I mean, it's a a big movie. That was a big movie. But like. Sure. Uh, And the last one is the Poltergeist remake. Wow. <laughs> I forgot. Is that Sam Rockwell in that? I have never seen it. I haven't dared to watch that one. It is Sam Rockwell. I yes, you're right. Don't know where I pulled that. Um no, well, she's great. She's really good in Light Sleeper, is another uh performance from her that I really oh, like. Yeah, right. A portrayal one. Yeah. I, I watched that not too long ago. Yeah, you're she right. She showed up for a spell as a mortician in Twin Peaks the Return. I remember uh, her being really fun in that. Yeah, no, she's I'm about to watch at some point. I'm going Ooh. through all of Twin Peaks for the first time in my life. And, um, I'm just starting yes. with season two. Um, yeah, I've seen her in Claws, another kind of forgotten TV show. I've seen her in Easy, another uh, TV uh, Netflix show that is kind of forgotten. She she has done a lot of TV. I thought she wasn't transparent yeah. as well, but I'm confused her with someone else. Um, she got a bunch of buzz for something. Hacks. She she got a uh, Emmy nomination for Hacks, yeah, which I, I haven't, haven't seen. seen. That one yet. Yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, we, we shouldn't get too sidetracked. We're talking too much yeah. already about everything. I, I want to come back to my question. Like, why do we see that? That that Why do we see explicit shots of come here? Why do we see it fl- dripping down the wall and him sticking an envelope to it? I, I really I really wonder. I, I do know what Todd Solans is doing with a lot of things in this movie, like really doing provocative things, showing us the undersides, uh, the the underbelly of, of, of society in a way. But this just seems like 
I think it's just childish fun for some moments. Yeah. It feels like it's like the, the, the ending I get the, the ending scene where where I get why you see it there. The Hoffman stuff. I feel like it's just for the sake of showing you something to, to unnerve you for the sake of showing you something you don't see in movies ever. I, like, I would argue like, if, if yeah. <laughs> how many movies can you think of in general that show you semen in a scene? Yeah. Like, do you even see it? Uh, like the Green Knight is one I can think of recently. Uh, very famously, the cum scene where uh, she yeah, right, she right. jerks him off with the scarf. Um, I don't remember if you even see it in Call Me by Your Name when he fucks the peach. But I, I know, like, I, I it's certainly implied. So. It's certainly implied that he 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 comes in that peach, uh, but I don't remember if you see it. But like, truly, even in the most sexual scenes in movies, you don't see semen, and it's okay. you know a, a I, vital I part of life. Did you just let's do let's up? do a semen sidetracking. I clicked on my <laughs> one of my favorite, my other favorite part of IMDb besides the parents' guide is the keywords, which I've ranted about on oh, Instagram several semen. times. Oh, no. And uh, of course, happiness has the keyword semen. Uh, I mean, and I just I just it, want to give you a rundown of movies that feature the keyword semen. I let's let's okay. just do that because this sure. is more relevant to our known for uh, sidetracks that we had. Number one, sure. Silence of the Lambs. Fa- okay, yes, famous very famously. Scene. Very famous semen scene. Probably the most famous semen scene. Yes, that's why it's number one here. And, and they are ranked normally by popularity. Uh, when you Popularity of the keyword. movie, yeah. yeah. Number two, American Pie, of course. Yes, I don't think you see... I haven't seen it, American Pie. I doubt... Ah, well, okay. I, you, you might I'm sure see, you see it at some point in a similar way that you see it in Happiness as kind of like a joke. Uh, yeah, number three, um, Gaspar Noé's Love. Which is uh, I haven't explicit... seen that, but that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes a, a lot of sense from what I know. Explicit sex scene, so it's not surprising. The lighthouse. Yeah, you see the coming. Right. You see coming that. Then a *Nymphomaniac* Volume One. Not surprising. <laughs> Off- yeah, not surprising. A Serbian film. Also not surprising. The less said, the better. Yeah. Have you seen a Serbian film? Any? I chance? have not. That, that's one of those movies that, like, just I I have no interest in ever watching. I yeah, I take I that off to. my list this year, finally, off my list of yeah. movies I never wanted to watch, and I watched it anyway. Um, I don't recommend it. Um, uh, yeah, but it's also that's... it's also not as it's not what it what people think it is at the yeah, same time. Yeah, but I, I still I I don't need to. It's just I get kind of, of it. it's just kind of not necessary for this movie to yeah. exist or to watch or anything. it's it's not it's also yeah. not what it wants to be. Uh, Secretary is the next one. I, I don't know if you've seen, seen that, that one. But I, Very I, interesting I, movie. I would believe that. I would believe that. Then uh, Caligula. Also makes sense based on the yes. reputation. Again, I haven't yes. seen it. Yes, but... a movie that definitely no one should see, I would argue. Uh, Itu Mama Tambien is another one. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. And then we get The Green Knight. There we go. Number 10. Then we get To Crash. Yeah. <laughs> then we get to a, a movie that I would have expected a higher up on this list. Uh, there's something about Mary because it has a oh, very yeah. famous that's, scene. scene. That's... <laughs> Even more than Silence of the Lambs. That's yeah. the most famous semen scene. It should be, right? It's so prolonged. Yeah. It's like a it goes on forever and, and like it's, it's so... the that's uh, the lasting image from that movie is uh yeah, right. Cameron Diaz with the, the hair slick. Yeah. Like, that's that is the something that's about Mary. But the next movie, I, I don't want to go through the whole list, but it's, it's kind yeah. of interesting to go through that list uh, because it is a movie where uh, it it comes. It's kind of a spoiler to even talk about that, but it's Don't Breathe, 
I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't, but I know I know why it's a spoiler about uh, that movie. I, I, I know the, there's I know a lot of semen that you see and you don't expect it at all that you get to a point where you see a lot of semen in this movie and you do yeah. and it's really gross and, and surprising. And then you have Nine Songs, another one with explicit sex scenes and Antichrist and so on and so on. Antichrist, um, yeah. yeah. And then, um, Antichrist, course, Antichrist, that's blood come. That's, well, that's a whole thing. I don't know. Maybe the keyword on Antichrist plot come is there too. I don't want to check that one now. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't <laughs> want to check the. I don't want to check any list of blood come. <laughs> and of course, you have lots of comedies then uh, too. You have the dictator yeah. and tattoo and and kingpin and so on and so on and pink flamingos. Yeah. Well, you uh, you you get to just yes, and then yeah, at get, some get... point, at some point, you get to movies that you just have never heard of before, yeah. which just shows you there are not that many movies. Like you don't even get to to number thirty to get to movies that I mean, happiness is thirty one surprising weird I, yeah I, yeah and lots of american yeah. pie sequels and so on and so on but yeah weird. no i i think that's ultimately what salons is getting at is showing you something that is a literally an integral part of life that you never see depicted because it's just one of the taboos like even in sex scenes you don't show that part because that's, that's exactly it's uncouth and uh, uh salons and... wants to show the uncouth in this movie and i do get it in a way when when you see him jerking off and just to see like the consequence and the i don't know like the the, the come down the come the, the, like the, the, the in a way the pathetic a... aftermath of this fantasy that he's he is uh playing out here right and just having yeah, that I, I mean that's what philip seymour hoffman's whole character is he's uh like he's the dog that that caught the car <laughs> he he's making all these obscene phone calls and he calls Lara Flynn Boyle and says, "I'm like, I'm gonna rape you until you, I don't, I don't remember what he says." Doesn't and then, really matter. And then she calls him back and is like, "I want you to fuck me." And he's at a loss for what to do to the point that he's like having an existential crisis that this this fantasy that's ultimately not really a sexual fantasy; it's a violent fantasy. It's, it's yes. a control fantasy that once he's actually uh, uh, given free reign he has no idea what to do and he panics and shuts down. And it, it's such a fascinating character that I don't know. It's, it's I, what I wanted to say earlier is that I would argue that um, with a different performance, with a different actor, this, his character could also feel very cliched and one note, right? If you yeah. just talk about it, He's someone who has sexual violent fantasies. He calls women on the phone. He's gross. We see him come. Uh, he he doesn't really, uh, he can't really commit to his fantasies once they become reality. This sounds, it doesn't sound interesting. It sounds like something we've seen before. But then unsurprisingly, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman like manages the... to transcend this and make something really unique. And I, I don't want to say the best performance in a movie because I think Dylan Baker is 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 even there, better. There's a reason, there's a reason the the three that are centered on the poster are Hoffman and Baker and Adams because yes. the three of them are just so on another level but like Philip Seymour Hoffman the way he's styled in this movie he's just like the human embodiment of beige he has his just like very flat wet blonde hair like slicked down and the big glasses and he's always in the same like tan blazer and slightly lighter he, tan pants he and barely he manages looks... to open his eyes wide enough he's always like squeezing his eyes his whole face seems like he's always in pain yeah. in and a he's way sweating on the, he's sweating in the yes. daniel clothes like yeah he is 
like that's the the why the character isn't a as cliche is because he is what this movie is saying he is this very normal bland boring looking person that underneath is just a a, a sexual menace yes uh, that it, that has no idea what he's talking about he like he looks like billy all grown up yes you're right this sexually confused man oh, no that, no, I wonder, is that a connection? Because we see both of them come. They're, and they have the same glasses and they have the same, like, I would not be surprised if that was a very intentional uh, costume. I hadn't even choice. thought about that until right now. Yeah, but it has to be. You're right. The similarities are low. And again, those are the only two moments we see someone coming and we see the come and we see something yeah. terrible happening with the come. Like, yeah. that can't be a coincidence. No, it's absolutely not. Like, Hoffman is playing that type of character and but, like it, it goes back to what i was saying about dylan baker being a therapist is that like this movie is, is like these are very normal average regular people that are terrible when when you get underneath like but does that mean that salons is kind of implying that that this could be billy's fate I think that the only is. the only person who's supposed to be happy and i mean from Billy's point of view, it's fair that he's happy about that, right? Yeah, he's grown. He's he's the one person that has had a positive character growth. But of and the course, thing that had to is, happen is he, everything that happened to his father. But of course, also, he reaches his happiness through stalking an unknown woman, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's, it's not a dear. positive representation of happiness. The movie oh, had I not like, thought about that before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there, there's like... I mean, like, Billy's fate is either the character he looks like, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman, or, I mean, his, father. He, his name's Billy, his dad's name is Bill, Yes, he's he's Bill Jr., he's William mm. uh, Maplewood Jr., he's, he is not, uh, fate is not smiling happily on Billy Maplewood. Or uh, anyone in this film, right? I mean, on anyone, yeah, like, no, nobody but, oh, has this good in this movie. I don't know, maybe my, I'm kind of broken now that I thought about that. And again, it seems so obvious. Normally I'm good at this stuff, but I kind of hope that Salons was, even the way he presents it still, I was kind of hoping that he wants Billy to at least be really happy, that at least one person in this in this fucked up world that he presents can achieve some kind of happiness. And then it's just the other people who don't, don't really know what to do, to do with this happiness. But yeah, he probably is saying that there's not a lot of chance that he will become a happy person. I mean, of course, he, he doesn't have a lot of chance with the, with his father yeah. And, yeah. And, and everything. Yeah. There's... <laughs> oh, this, he's... this kind of bums me out now. Yeah. It's, it's not a, a a happy ending, as it were. Even though it's... Like, Another I mean, it's pun. Lit... <laughs> yes. Happy ending that's not a happy ending. Ha ha ha. The actual mm -hmm. like, like ex there is nudity in this movie though, which like yes. we're talking about the, like it, it really speaks for what this movie is. That you asked me what the most sexual part of the movie is when we we've been talking about that for twenty minutes, and we haven't mentioned the actual sex scene that happens in this movie between Jared Harris and Jane Adams, uh, because it's I'll kind be of unremarkable. Yeah, it is. It is a it is. relatively normal sex scene. It has nudity, but it doesn't really matter even. Yeah, I mean, it, it has its consequences. She's his teacher, uh, and and he robs her, and she sort of 
falls in with that. I do like all the stuff, like, again, talking about Jane Addams also being a bad person, despite the fact that, like, we're we're sympathizing with her because life is crumbling around her. Like, she's still uh, breaking a teacher's strike to go teach these immigrants, and the immigrants oh, also yes. hate her. <laughs> she's, a, she's a scab that, that sees the more... And, like, every time she talks to Vlad and he has these questions about her, she talks down to him, like, oh, you probably don't know this about American society, but mm. actually, like... It's it's totally normal for a woman in, in her thirties to be unmarried and all this stuff, <laughs> and she's just like so condescending to him. Uh, it's it's a great characterization for her beyond just being like put upon woman that that has a heart of gold. Like she's still she's still a a terrible white woman. It is, by the way, uh, that you mentioned a moment of violence that is mentioned in the parents' guide. Surprisingly, which when it says. A woman is pelted with vegetables by a crowd of protesters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, we I guess forgot that... to discuss this violence. Yes, or, um, or when when Vlad's uh, not wife comes and calls her a slut yes. and beats her up. Yeah, the... a, a woman spits on a woman and drags her to the floor by her hair is what the parents' guide says. Yeah. And then also uh, in, in the same connection, uh, a woman is shown with a black eye and a bloody lip. It is implied to be from domestic abuse. Yeah, because um, Vlad, which is also, Vlad beats her yeah, up too. Yeah, because Vlad is a bad person too, of course. Yes, everyone's a bad. Every everyone, down to Laura Flynn Boyle, speaking to the universe, wishing that she had been raped as a child so that yes. her art could have integrity yes. when she's writing these poems about being raped as a child. Like I mean, ter- terrible. Like these are these are terrible people. Yes, yes, it is. They are. Let's, I mean, there, we could discuss so many of these things, but we should get to the Dylan Baker storyline. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe as a, as a final part to discuss this movie, because otherwise think, it's getting yeah. too long. And, and, and again, we talked about so many things already, but let's, let's discuss that part because it is the yes. most infamous part of the movie. I would argue if, if that was not in there, the movie would be, would have been received differently. Probably would have, would not have been unrated. Um, yes. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's the reason I was looking on Wikipedia. Uh, that's the reason why it got dropped by so many distributors is the movie's approach, uh, the the approach to specifically pedophilia, uh, and how how frank it is in its conversations about it. it is like no studio wanted to distribute this movie. Nobody wanted to be associated with it. Even the studios that had like I think it was October Films originally had it. And then they were sort of talked into dropping the movie because yes, of that yes. stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The the Sundance Film Festival also says refused to accept the yes. film. Yeah, it was gonna be at Sundance and they, they said no. And that, in the nineties, when when like at the at the height of independent movies that uh, dealt with difficult topics, uh, even that was too much. Um Yeah, I mean I I see why. I I can see why yes. people were hesitant to to claim this movie as one of their own. Okay, I want to get into it. Um, we talked about a lot of it already. Um, the fact yeah. is, um, Dylan Baker plays uh, a, a father who is a pedophile. He um, he he has fantasies um, about uh, children, about his son's friends, for example. We see him at a baseball game where he watches uh, one kid, where he talks to his father. And it's another I moment that, where we have... Yeah. But we have more sympathy for the Dylan Baker character because the father is so horrible and stupid and uh, be- because he's just like... like It's another thesis point of the movie is that this father is like, my son's an F-slur. 
do you like what what do you think would uh would happen if i hired a professional and yes. dylan baker's like a professional what and he goes, you know a hooker and, and dylan baker's like dude he's 12 and the dad just goes yeah you're right it's too late he is what he is and like like this dad is also you know in some way or another discussing the rape of his own child yes uh, just so casually and like it really makes you think like what part is is the the dad more upset about the fact that his son got raped or the fact that his son got raped by a man yes. like and and that scene shows something um i mean again we see dylan baker drugging the kid yeah. We don't see any sexual content. We know he is he he rapes one of the kids because he confesses to it in the end. Both of them. We he, we, we know, know he he, he, he yeah. rapes another one, and still the Dylan Baker character is probably just listening to him. One of the most reasonable people in the whole movie. It's insane, and really like I give this movie such props for its. It's again. It's audacity to make this character anything other than a a just a walking monster. The, that that, I, that I, it is able to elicit any type of sympathy for this character. I, I would it, go one step further. I would say he he is the most sympathetic character in this movie, which is insane. But also like just like okay. And I, here's I, what I, I yeah. want to get into. And this is why I want to discuss it. I it is insane considering how we deal with this topic. But it is actually, I think, it, it, I, I give the movie a lot of credit for doing that because it does not shy away from showing the consequences and how terrible it is what he's doing. The movie and that he knows him for he, that. He know he knows he's a terrible person. He but knows he, he's sick. Yes, and the movie does show that he's still on the outside. That he's still like a reasonable, sympathetic person, and that it's just something that he is afflicted with right? Pedophilia yeah. is a disease. And I think the movie doesn't really make that clear. And I think I still have some problems with how it depicts it because it still yes. shows him as kind of a threat uh, to anyone uh, surrounding him, especially because he's a therapist and he should know better in a way. Um, but it yeah, also, and that's the thing. It, he does, he does know better. And, yes. and he just, he, he can't help. Like, again, taking it back to what I was saying about the music in those, the scene where yeah. he's watching Johnny at the, at the, at the bat, at the, in the baseball game the music is just as like what you would expect from your average romance movie where yes. the character like love at first sight scene in a movie and, and again when he's trying to convince johnny to eat the tuna sandwich the same type of music like it is a fascinating uh character study in this character that that knows that what he's doing is wrong and uh, uh, still can't help himself because it, it's just his affliction. It's his, I, I don't know. It, it's the, the audacity to present that in a movie. It, it, it takes balls to, to put that character in your movie to any degree. I, I do criticize the movie for being sometimes too... There, there like elegiac. I, but I, what I want to say is... <clears throat> And and this is this is maybe some of the most difficult things I want to say now. But I think it's hard to talk about. It's hard to discuss. Here's the thing. I I think we are not doing ourselves a favor in our society dealing the way we deal with pedophilia. And I do want to make clear that I don't want to say that we are being too harsh on pedophilia, but I do think we are not treating us 
as what it is, which is a sickness and as something that can be dealt with and can be treated and that people can be aware of and that people who suffer from pedophilia don't have to be people who abuse children. That is just a fact that many people don't want yeah. to see. In fact, it's even more extreme that, in fact, most people who abuse or molest children are not pedophile, uh, pedophiles. And I think this is something we tr try to ignore. It's more often a, a thing of, of 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 power and so on and so on. And like with Philip Seymour from... Hoffman in, in exactly. this movie. It, it's, it's all about the power. Like, that's what this movie... Like, this movie is kind of fascinating to talk about, about sex and violence because all the sex... Yes in it is really violence yeah. and all the violence in it is really sex if the philip seymour hoffman character if we would see him molesting a child we know that he is not a pedophile he would just do it because he wouldn't find any other way to deal with the sexual fantasies and yeah it's such a big difference that the movie doesn't really get into but i just want to point that out and i know that just saying that makes some people upset because it makes it sound like I'm trying to glorify pedophilia or to make it seem harmless or anything. And of course, I don't even want to say that this is just not true. No, of, of course. I, I, I know what you're saying. I know exactly but, what you're saying. But we have a lot of misconceptions about pedophilia. And I, I think it's not helping anyone to have these misconceptions. Um, yeah. And I do think the movie is really brave in showing the Dylan Baker character as so sympathetic because it does show that there's just that it's just one side of his character. As he said, that he's not a monster just because... And I mean, I can't even finish that sentence. He's not yeah. a monster just because he rapes children. That is the most horrible thing anyone can do, right? Yes. There's no question about that. But that doesn't he mean that monster, he, as a character, but it doesn't is a mean, monster. It doesn't mean he's not a person. It still presents him as a human. Yes. Yes, in the same way that uh, that little children, I think, does yes. the same thing with a Jackie Earl Haley character, where he's, you know, has these terrible urges, but that doesn't make him any less of a member of society. He's still a a person that exists in this space. Yes, and how we deal with that is a whole other conversation. But like, he's not like like it, it could be anyone. That's that's what again. Dylan Baker is playing a therapist in this movie. He's not yes. just a uh, generic sort of businessman in the same way that Philip Seymour Hoffman has a job working computers, but we don't know what he does as an actual job. Uh, but like Dylan Baker, we know is a therapist, which is like the, the trusted member of society that you would go to if you were someone like him that's dealing with these urges. And like, if your therapist is dealing with that kind of like, that's maybe the the bleakest point yeah. of this movie is that Dylan Baker, like the the sort of social nets that we have in place for these mental issues are not are completely it, it's showing us that these social nets in society that are in place to to sort of help us with these uh these mental incapacities, they're not infallible. Like yeah. everything is just attributable to human error and to human psychosis and like a, 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 it's such a a smartly written uh approach to this character that and that also like dylan baker pulls off so well it's such a fascinating performance yeah uh, and i mean it, like or dylan baker for the fact that like this is kind of his breakout role in a sense that like for the rest of his career 
anyone but I read somewhere that he said that it was not really a problem for him like I'm I'm glad to hear that I'm I'm glad he still gets jobs I, I read like, that he said that somewhere in an interview and I mean hey I mean it started I mean he was an actor for a while already but they started his career in this movie and he was this not is asked where he, to play this, this is, kind of of characters right in yeah. a way he mostly was asked to play different kind of characters like more boring people or or something yeah. like that right he, or he has one or of those official Yes. He's like one of the the ultimate that guy actors. Um, yeah, I really really like Dylan Baker. I always like seeing him. Yeah, uh, and it's, I'm um, really he was not typecast. That that that's what I find so interesting. Yes, although the first see, uh, the first thing that I remember seeing him in because I didn't uh, I didn't grow up on the Sam Raimi Sam Raimi Spider Man movies, so I hmm. didn't see him as uh, didn't get to be Lizard. Uh, I always as, forget as that Dr. Kirk Connor. That, that yeah, he is in be, those. Be, because because they were setting him up to be. Uh, to transform eventually into lizard and i think the fourth yes. one it was going to be and then they they didn't make the fourth one so he just uh and, and then even when they did no way home and they brought back all of the uh villains from the previous movies they brought back the Risa Fons lizard from uh the yes. garfield spider-man so again poor dylan bake but the first thing i think i ever saw him in was trick or treat have you seen that one the the horror movie anthology oh, movie with anna paquin the and highest on I my list Brian of horror Cox, movies that I need to it's, see. It's really good. And he plays a school principal that murders kids on Halloween. And he like uh he like drugs one of the kids with Halloween candy and turns his head into a jack-o'-lantern. Oh and his and his son like oh. catches him doing it and like helps him out with it and helps him decorate this this kid jack-o'-lantern. So like the my two flashpoints for uh for Dylan Baker are as an actor are of him drugging and abusing children. So it's just like I always have that sort of boundary when I when I see him as an actor. Like you're not that guy, but the two characters I most associate you with <laughs> are. So I just need to like put you out of remove for half a second. But no, he's a great actor, and again, kind of like Jane Adams, doesn't it, have a huge career following this. Like he's, he he doesn't have the Philip Seymour Hoffman indie to mainstream star uh uh career path but i love it whenever he pops up in something me too and then i also forget what he's in i forget for forgot for example that he is j edgar hoover in selma uh, which oh, uh, wow. even is got him some really? nominations right it got is him like three really? critic nominations somewhere i don't remember that at all he's like i, I remember this came up on my and I, no it didn't come up on my podcast because he's in a movie that i've talked about on my podcast but it's such a small role that we had like we didn't even mention him. I didn't even mention him in the cast breakdown. He is the doctor that cuts off Jared Leto's arm in Requiem for a Dream. Yes, yeah, I for, saw that. Like uh, ten seconds in that movie, and he's, this is credi him. he's credited he's as um. I just saw that he's credited as Southern Doctor. Sure, I don't even. He's in <laughs> that montage that's set to look like yeah, Turner, yeah. Uh, at the end, but like he has maybe. A line in in half a scene, but again, Dylan Baker popping up and stuff. Always happy to see him. And if you if you check out um, him and Selma, <laughs> you would imagine because it's Selma, it's one of these historical movies that you would think, oh, he he probably applied a lot of makeup. And then you see him, and it's like, no, he just looks like Dylan Baker. It looks like I, they used no makeup at all to make him look like Jake or Hoover. I and had even truly he, forgotten that he was. Me too. Me too. I've all. seen Selma a couple of times, and he's like, he's just Dylan Baker in this movie. 
I, I do want to point out a scene that shows uh, the, I do want to talk about two more things when it comes to this. And, and then we still have to talk about that scene, uh, maybe for a moment, although we talked about it already. There is a moment at the, the early moment when he is working as a therapist, the only time we see him working as a therapist and Philip Seymour Hoffman is talking about his sexual fantasies. Yes. And then yes. we see him tune out. And as you mentioned before, he starts having his own thoughts and he's thinking about groceries. And I think it's... this is where the movie does it get something right. Because you would expect a different movie to use this moment for him to think about sexual fantasies about children. But no, he's yeah. just thinking about boring stuff. Because it's it's set up so perfectly by Hoffman talking about how he's just like this invisible, boring man. That people yes. look at me and they hear me talking and they don't hear what I'm saying. But he's talking about how like, I'm invisible, but I have these, like, I, I want to, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is the, the proto-incel. Yes. we've been kind of skirting around but he's that's exactly what he's what his character trope is but he's this like ignored unattractive white man that that has all this rage that he's funneling into sexual violence and he's talking about how like i i just want to like be seen I, I want to have an impact on the people around me uh i i want to be and like this is how i'm going to express that and he's saying this to his therapist and his therapist is so bored and uninterested with <laughs> yes. this very dangerous character that he's thinking about literally anything else. Like, I need to get milk. Billy has a baseball game tomorrow that I have to go to. And like, and you're getting such perfect line deliveries from Dylan Baker, who's so good at a flat line delivery. It's it's a great moment. And what I want to get at with that is that the this helps him becoming this rounded sympathetic character because he's thinking about everyday things that probably most people would think of when they are bored by what someone is talking about and he's not thinking of oh uh, i'm thinking about uh, my the, the 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 friend of my son and so like the movie could go could have gone the easy way here and it doesn't yeah where exactly. i'm more where i have more problems is that in many of the scenes where his pedophilia is um, is discussed, uh, discussed, <laughs> discussed, huh? Funny. Huh. Um, he <laughs> uses kind of comedic music. Yeah. Almost like, oh, funny. Will he get away with it? Oh, he has figured out that this one boy is alone at his home, and then we see just uh, like him driving there real fast and having some excuse, and it's kind of like played like a comedy, and it's very clear what Salons is doing. Like he he tries to make you go, "Ha! Huh, do you think that's funny?" But think about what he's doing; it's actually not yeah, funny. But but it's also a, a way to make those scenes palatable in a way that like you need some sort of catharsis to what we're talking about, or else it's going to be so unwatchable. Like you need to have some sort of way to to feel comfortable in your own skin watching this happen because otherwise it's like even worse to watch. It, Still, it, it, it's, it's a that. type of tension breaker, I, I feel like. I, I, I just wonder how successful it always is. I, I think you're really treading the line with those moments. Like the moment where he drives the, the kid home who's, who he has drugged and he's slowly sinking into his lap in the car. And yeah, it's, again, that was... it's played like a joke. The like, uh, and and it's really tough to think about. Well, how should I feel now? Like, is this funny? Isn't this horrible? And of uh, that's course, the, that's what... those are the questions Todd Salons is asking. Is this funny or is this horrible? And I think the answer he's telling us is, it's kind of both and it's kind of neither. It's just, it's just sort of like it just is. 
and it, it's it's impossible to parse the difference between happiness and sadness and and all these different uh contradictory truths about modern life and, and about the way we all repress who we are in some yeah. way or another it's it's something and i mean again maybe we don't even have to talk about the famous scene where he where he talks to his son because yeah we about i think we, we talked about it yeah <laughs> but it's it's but this is really the, this moment because they have this talk. And again, there's also, I think there's also music. I, I don't remember right now. I, no, I think, I think. Ah, we talked about that, right? You yes. weren't sure if there's it, it, music It's the one not. time when I think there isn't. I think yeah, I, because, I, I noticed. Specifically because when they have that. their first talk, when the son comes and asks him about, um, um, like, like what's come to come and, and, and so on. And there is very, very expressive, funny music that makes it clear that this is a satire. It's music. That is like soap opera music where we see there is an important conversation now happening between father and son. Isn't that isn't that a cute and uh, a bonding exercise? And then you listen to what they're talking about, like common penis size and stuff and like that. Yeah, yeah. Ronald Farber says his penis is 11 inches long. Is that possible? <laughs> I, thanks for thanks for reassuring me, Dad. I bet your penis is way bigger than his. It's not. And then he's like, it's it's with uh, it, 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 it's about knowing how to use it. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "Do you want me to measure it for you?" Like, you yeah. can tell in that moment is like, "Oh, yeah, th this doesn't like this extends to his own son too. He's feeling those urges right now." It it's, and there it's... I wonder if it's if it makes sense to play this out of like a oh, oh danger for his son joke, you know? Well, I, because I, I I think he's treating that conversation with such reverence, I guess, for for the conversation. Uh. uh bill is that he like we don't feel as if there's any danger for that scene in the same way that we feel when he's no. trying to get johnny grasso to eat the the turkey sandwich or like the devastation on his face when he finds out that johnny grasso hates chocolate fudge and so he's not going to eat the drugged ice cream and it's and like that's played almost to a similar thing like if you're not if you don't know the full context of what's going on you almost are rooting for like oh he, he's just trying to get this kid something that he wants to eat like he's just being a, a considerate host he wants oh oh you want you you, you want grape pie see i can i can go see if we have some you want a turkey sandwich i'll make you a turkey sandwich mm -hmm. but what we know is that like he's not doing that to be a kind host he's doing that so that he can drug this kid with sleeping pills it's set up as almost a joke almost a, yeah. a kind of moment where you want to root for him, although obviously you don't want to root for him because you know the outcome of this. But but it's it's keeping you on the edge of your seat. Like he's like, oh, I'm not hungry. Can I just eat the the sandwich tomorrow? He's like, well, it might not taste as good tomorrow. All these things that it's like obstacles in his way towards this terrible goal. And yet we as the audience are are watching that. Like we don't want it to happen, but we want to know what the outcome is one way or the other. And, I, and, and it's really playing with our expectations there. I think what I'm coming down to is I, I still admire the movie for going this far, for doing what it's doing compared to some of the other more exploitative, shocking movies. I think it's I think it's brave. I think he sometimes missteps a little bit in its tone. Oh, cer yeah, certainly. It, it, I think not a it's not necessary to go this time. far with the music or again with the come on the wall. I, I think he, he sometimes takes a little... Uh, takes it a little bit too far and and it's not really necessary but overall I, i'm still 
there are so many mo moments in this movie again the, and the performances and how he transcends his own material in a way it's and, very and again, ambitious a very ambitious a, project and as i'm saying time. in a way that he i think was not able to do in some of his other movies where he tries similar things but i think happiness is his his most successful when it comes to that even if i'm not happy about every decision he makes but still yeah i think it is uh such an interesting movie i do want to uh because i think we're we're, we're getting uh, closer to the end now i do want to quote from the parents guide finally oh yeah we haven't really mentioned all that have we I don't have to read all the things that we talked about before uh, because it just very often just states what 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 the movie is showing. But under frightening and intense scenes, I want to read you three uh, entries that are very interesting, different in a way than than normally what I quote from the Parents' Guide. The first is "Happiness is a very dark and crudely disturbing movie." That's it. Very true. <laughs> I very mean, true. yeah, that is true. But like, there's more to it than that. I guess that is technically frightening and intense. There is a theme of pedophilia throughout, and although no scenes of molestation are shown, it is still dark. <laughs> it is dark. That is true. That is correct. And and now I want to quote the last one. Several of the characters in the film have social dysfunctions, which leads them to behavior that most people would find disturbing. For example, making obscene phone calls, murder, and suicide. Most of the suspense in the film lies in its complete emotional bleakness. I, that's a good way to put it. I think that that's a that's a solid encapsulation of the sort of general vibe of what yeah. the movie's getting at. It, it's it's very bleak, and it's that, rare that sure. the parents' guide provides us with such an interesting insight into what the movie is doing and 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 how it feels. That's why I wanted to quote it because for for once, so many things in this movie are different to the other movies I have discussed. But even here, the parents' guide is able to actually provide some something that is uh, valuable. Hey, good for them! Yeah, good for them. Whoever wrote that, good. Yeah, good for this person. Then uh, that brings us to our final section, uh, which is well, <laughs> uh, my two questions that I ask in the end. I'm very curious about this one. I haven't even thought about it before. Could you imagine this movie having a different rating, being more or less explicit? Well, I mean, considering <laughs> the rating is no rating, the question is almost like, can you see the movie having a rating? Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess just like by default, yes, I can, because I can imagine this movie being rated in any, like, getting but of course, a, then, R or an NC-17. Considering that it would have to be changed for that. Oh, to have, uh, to have the movie to itself get... be changed? I guess, I don't know, maybe. I could see them. If you tone out... down the film, would it still work? I don't think so. I mean, it's so specific in in getting at what it gets at that, like, I think if you change even one sort of aspect of of the uh, the parts of the movie that got it yes. unrated, yeah. if you change any one thing about that, I don't think it is nearly as strong in its convictions, and I don't think it it is nearly as successful as a movie so, i mean no. what what we've been doing for the last uh i don't know two hours um just about is, yeah. is kind of really trying to define how unique the tone and the the uh content of this film is and i would agree with you that changing that making it more like harmless toned down like other sanitized movies, to any sanitized, degree it would just be a completely different movie. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it could work, but it's hard to imagine that it. It could... would be very different. It would be a. a it yes. wouldn't be a Todd Salon's movie. It would be like a. 
I don't even know who makes the rated R version of happiness. Yeah, me neither. Uh, true, like I, I think it would be focused more on just dysfunctions and making more fun of them, or being really just bleak and dark. And and again, what the, makes this movie so unique is to blend those two elements so well together, so that exactly. you never will quite know know how to feel all the way to the end. And I mean, of course, the movie being more explicit is of course possible, but it also would. Be I don't want it to. I don't movie. want it to be more. Because and we're talking like, about the Serbian movie again. Yeah, when um, you talk about what what could be made more explicit in this movie, that's stuff you really don't want to show in a movie. And it would ruin it too. It, it's yes. not just that you don't want to see it. It would be. It wouldn't help the movie in any no, way. No, it, it it would it would it would water down the the pre- the precision of what this movie shows you and what it keeps from you. Yeah, I I agree. It's very okay. sharp in that way, and, and, and it, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, pr- yeah. To ma- okay, it would just make it too blunt. Yeah, let's give it a rating. Uh, how <laughs> how explicit, considering sex and violence, this movie is on a scale from one to ten. Uh, this is a ten. This is a, yeah. a a ten out of ten. Even though it doesn't show much. Yeah, but is... like the 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 one discussion alone between Dylan yeah. between Bill and Billy, like you, that you is will not find as a more explicit. explicit. Yeah, yeah. It There's couldn't be no, more explicit. It it is not done with subtext or metaphor at all. It is said outright. What is what is being said in that scene? Yeah, how intense would you say this movie is? Ten out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> I would argue for. Even that the explicitness, you could argue for less because it doesn't actually show something. But intensity, I would say, is impossible. It's such an intense movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason this movie is always... Like, on any list you find of hardest movies to watch, this is on there. Like, nine times out of ten, if there's a movie like that, or if there's a list like that, happiness is going to be one of the entries into that list. Because it's so well-known as being a movie that's hard to watch, too. Like, it, it is almost an obvious pick at this point for it. Again, it is on my list of most intense movie-watching experiences ever in my life. Of all oh, the yeah, movies I've as, ever seen. as you said, like, the, the certainly heightened by that experience. And just for, because of, of what it is. Like, no yes. other movie would have had the same effect, I would say. Not even, like, a an, an very violent movie or something like that, right? Not yeah, even a last not... one trio movie would have the same effect. How much to... would you say the uh, sex and violence is connected to the themes of the movie? 10 out of 10. <laughs> that is what the movie is about. As I said, sex is violence, violence is sex, and we all have some degree of both of them that's making us fucked up. That's what the movie is saying. That's what the movie is about and calling that it is happiness. The, the in a way, it's even putting its thumb on it, like saying, ha, happiness? There I you can't go. Ima- like, that is the absolute perfect title for this movie. It, it is like... Yeah. It's one of those things that you can tell when Salons d- realized that he was going to name the movie Happiness. Like that's the yeah. like, the thing that clicks everything into place. Like when you have the idea for this movie and you have the idea to call it Happiness, like you have to make the movie at that point. It, it is. It, 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 I can't imagine this movie under any other title. That's a really, really good point. And I, I think I, I talked about some of the other movies of his that I have I've seen. And again, his next movie is called Storytelling. It is about storytelling. It, yeah, it's I mean, an, a fine title, but it's it, it has not the same effect. And again, Welcome to the Dollhouse is also kind of a joke already, yeah, right? I, it's a good title, I think. I think that, that one 
it is a good one what but, it is but again it's on a, on a on a different level than just happiness and again yeah. and and you can go on for all the again he in happiness he managed something that he was not able to pull off with his other films even if they are not bad or anything okay a, a final one <laughs> is this movie recommended for children no which i think is also 10 out of 10 on this would be scale, a right? 10 if you say it has to be 10 if you don't go to yes. France or the Netherlands. Is, is is this your your first uh 40 out of 40? That would be the first 40 out of 40, yeah. I can't um, imagine it, like I can't imagine any other score for this movie. This is this movie gets a uh, perfect marks. I mean, uh the highest rating so far uh was uh Basic Instinct with 37. Understandable, but not on the same level as Happiness. Certainly not. Interesting. I'm curious <laughs> which other movies will get to 40. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's anything that it was going to be for certain, I think happiness. Like, <laughs> I went into this trying to to think of that because, I, uh, like you said, I, I I've been on the show before. I know how this works, so I was trying to think of it in those terms. I knew going into this, I was going to give this a forty out of forty on that scale because no, like thirty nine out of forty doesn't like I wouldn't know where to take that one point down. I I wouldn't know where. To even Again, begin I, to dock this movie on the grading scale that you've given it, I think it's it's a great way to to grade these movies. Like I, I'm <laughs> very very uh, impressed with that format decision, and I think this movie just like it it passes the test with flying colors, as it were. I'm still surprised how well the system works, actually. And again, yeah, just on a on a. Hmm. If you are very literal, you could you could say that the movie is not explicit in what it shows, and could take points away if you wanted to. If you wanted to, right? You you could argue for that. I think I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm going for ten again because no movie is as explicit in discussing these things and showing these things. And again, (laughs) even the violence that we have talked about that is not much. We are talking mostly about sex and sexual violence, but even the violence is quite explicit for a movie like that. Um, yeah. So we have a we have a forty, the first forty. This movie has uh, broken a lot of class ceilings in a way uh, for this podcast. <laughs> Whatever, I did it. I won. I won the <laughs> podcast. I got the best score. <laughs> oh, this is what I'm doing. This now I remember. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, your prize is you can watch Happiness again. Um... <laughs> I won't. I won't. I've seen it twice now, and I I think that is as many times as I will ever watch this movie in my life. Then your your homework is to uh, watch a Serbian film and compare uh, those two. No, I will not. Ah, I might it. watch uh, Life During Wartime just to see. That would be an interesting task, by the, actually. To see yeah. what he what he does with these characters, but which yeah. is probably not as explicit or as extreme as Happiness is, because if it was, Very, we we knew about it. You know, what would be a really interesting uh, quadruple feature that would probably make you like drown yourself afterwards is uh happiness and life after life during wartime and dogville and mandrelay which is a similar <laughs> sort of sequel about the same characters but everyone is mm-hmm. recast by one of these big types of directors right i mean i meant Ellis howard playing this, the nicole kidman character in in that one or yes I yes one? i think yeah that's true yeah he's grace whatever that character's name is i, I, I don't know yeah, why i remember I'm... that her name is even grace but because it has yeah. probably some symbolic meaning because it's last one Trier. Probably I mean, so. I, I brought up last one Trier earlier because I think there is something similar in the way he, how explicit he is and so on. But no last one Trier movie makes me feel the same way as happiness does. 
And although, that's saying something. And that's saying something. Although I think Lars von Trier is often not uh, recognized for his humor in his oh, yeah. movies. Yeah, Dogville. All of them. Has, all of them. <laughs> Dogville especially has some really, really good jokes in there, which is yeah. Like the end. The that movie ends on a punchline. The ending of Dogville is the invisible dog, and then it cuts into to uh, Young Americans by David Bowie over the ending credits. That that's a funny way to end that movie. Just like it's 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 the yeah. house that Jack built has lots of humor. I have seen that, that one, but probably I, many yeah. people never want to see again or never even finish a movie that I have come to appreciate more and more the longer I think about it. Yeah, I do want to watch that one. Like uh, of the ones, uh, there's still a, a good chunk of his popular movies, even that I haven't seen yet, that I do want to. But House of Jack Build is up there just on a curiosity level. That that's a movie I would like love to discuss on my podcast at some point if I ever get yeah. to the 2010s. Or whatever. Last one, Trier in general. Anyway, um, thank you for for this wonderful discussion, for this long, long discussion. I'm not surprised that we talked so long. There, there's a lot to discuss with this movie, and I'm really yeah. happy we did it, and and we we talked about. I, I I'm really I'm really happy with the way we discussed this movie. Yeah, it was. I, I was kind of nervous going into it. <laughs> Me like, too. Like, how do you talk about this movie to any degree? Like. Even just on a level of how do you talk about Dylan Baker's character? But no, I I th- I was a, a a really interesting and like I unlocked so much of my thoughts of this movie in real time during this discussion. Me Everything too, that, as, like as always, <laughs> like the revelation that we sort of both came to at the same time about uh, Billy and uh, Alan being mm-hmm. so interconnected with their character, the uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, and like how that probably has a lot of intentionality behind it like that was me realizing that at the same time as i was saying it out loud me Uh, too you could yeah my feelings my my emotional breakdown live (laughs) when i thought about that it's 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 something wow one of the joys of uh just like having conversations about movies and art is you have these uh revelations yeah. while you're discussing them with people and that's one of the fun things about podcasting is you get to broadcast that out to whatever audience is listening uh so yeah no I, I, it was it was a a very interesting conversation about this movie that gave me even more appreciation for it i think uh just to be able to discuss it to this level with someone so yeah thank me thank you so much for having me back on uh i'm i'm glad i got to talk about this movie and again i'm more than happy to come back on whenever you want i uh i'm i'm pretty sure you will come back at some point yeah again thank you for this discussion i'm i'm really really glad we we had it and i have this movie on on my list of episodes now yeah absolutely it's one that that should be here so yeah thanks and uh, again i'm i'm happy to have you back if you managed to listen to all the way to to the end of this episode and have watched Happiness, then I'm glad to have you back, uh, listeners, uh, for next week. So uh, until then, uh, well, be happy. I came. <laughs> anyway, so the police came and looked in her freezer and found baggies filled with the doorman's genitals. I use baggies. Me too. Everyone uses baggies. That's why we can all relate to this crime, don't you see?